If you just think about the need for a second, 61% of organisations uh, outsource part of their business, not whole. And you know, some of the bigger players in the market will want that whole piece, not necessarily just part of an organisation. I'm not saying they may not use it as a means to get the whole organisation, but it may not necessarily be um, their ultimate um, endpoint. So I have a favourite saying in this particular area, you do not have to be Goliath, but you do have to be David. Hello everyone and welcome along to another episode of Talking Recruitment, the REC podcast. My name's Neil, the REC Chief Executive. Real pleasure to have you with us. Quite an exciting point of the year. Many of us looking forward to our summer holidays now, but plenty going on uh, with your REC and a fantastic discussion in this episode of the pod, looking at some of the the themes that we explored on the REC's uh, conference, REC Live 23, a couple of weeks ago. And remember that if you were delegate for the conference you've still got a couple of weeks to access all of the sessions on the on the website if there's something you want to revisit or catch up on and the thing we're we're looking at is well the kind of deeper relationships that we are building as professional services firms with our clients in in this market and we've got some fantastic guests to discuss that with in a moment other news from the rec well this podcast is coming out in the week that we're publishing our investment and technology guide about uh tech-enabled humanity and looking particularly both at where the tech is now and things you can adopt in your business, but also thinking a little bit towards AI and also the kind of management challenges that deploying tech brings for uh, recruiters. After all, we've all wrestled with CRM adoption and consultants during our career. And I think there are lots of lessons in that piece of work for you to take a look at. So I'd heartily recommend that to all REC members. And the other thing to look at came out on the 10th of July is our latest report on jobs data. And I think that gives a pretty clear steer that while demand on aggregate for temporary work is flat to slightly positive. There is a continuing gentle slowdown in demand for permanent work um, coming off that really high level of activity in 2021 and 2022. And the real question now is one of uncertainty. I think this is actually quite a robust market that probably turns around if we get that fall in inflation that we're expecting to see through the second half of the year. So plenty to look out for over the course of the next few months in terms of the direction of the market and and particularly keep an eye on that jobs outlook data from the REC, which gives a clear insight into where clients thinking is and has gently been getting more positive uh, recently, which is a good sign for all of us. One last reminder, which is the REC awards deadline, the 21st of July. So if you've got those awards entries on the way as this comes out, just a couple of days to get them in. And a big thank you as well for what was the most successful round of the REC compliance assessment that we've ever had. Uh, Delighted to see uh, members all take and pass the compliance assessment over the course of the last couple of months up to the deadline on June the 30th. So as I said, plenty going on at your REC. Also, we're 
and we're always keen to know what else we could be doing what sorts of things are on your mind so do uh, get in touch with your account manager drop me a line if there's something you want to us to be digging into either representation wise lots of work going on with both the main parties at the moment uh, in the run-up to the general election but also in terms of particular issues where we're looking very carefully, for instance, at client payment uh, strategies at the moment, because, of course, with interest rates spiking, you don't want to end up being a a, uh, a cheap source of credit for clients who are uh, managing their cash flow to, to reduce the, the interest that they're paying. So there's a lot of work there that we'll be doing over the next few months, just looking at the developing state of the market in this high interest rate time. But let's step back for for a second from all that and do something a little bit more strategic. We talk a lot about those uh, longer term, deeper, more residual relationships with clients that we need to build as a professional services sector. Delighted to be joined on the podcast today by Miles Lloyd and Paul Sharp from North Star People. First of all, Miles, uh, Paul, you're very, you're very welcome. Why don't we start, Miles, with uh, just giving people a sense of what North Star people are doing and your own and Paul's background? Yeah, look, thank you, thank you very much for having us, Neil, and um, thank you for the for the very kind introduction. North Star People is is a collaboration between Paul and myself. Um, we've known each other for a number of years, but we came together in Manchester a year and a half ago, and we we sort of put the world to rights a little bit over a beer and we and we started to sort of realize that as well as actually liking each other on a personal level we had a real shared shared passion for wanting the recruitment industry to be the best possible version of itself for leaders to step up and meet meet that challenge and for recruitment agencies to do things as well as they can do and to lift the whole profile of the industry so north north star people is an organization that's going to grow over the coming months ahead and you'll and you'll see people joining North Star people as well as myself and Paul being there at the heart of it and we're all about basically helping organizations to become the best versions of themselves and along with the leaders of those organizations as as well that's that's really at the heart of of what we are as as an organization in terms of myself just a real quick introduction for those who don't know me I've worked in and around the recruitment talent and staffing industry since 1998. Rather strangely, um, I actually was only working in the industry um, for five years before I then set up my own consultancy. I went through a very quick fast track of consultant, team leader, manager, director, was then doing RPO solution sales for just under 12 months and then had this little sliding doors moment, set up my, uh, my, my business consultancy. And I've been working with recruitment businesses and businesses in the supply chain to the agency sector for, well, it would be 20 years in, in August. So it's an awfully long time. A um, number of those businesses have successfully exited, whether that's, you know, an ETO, whether it's an MBO or a trade sale. But yeah, I'm just I'm just passionate about about what I do. So it's a real a real pleasure to be here. And I'll, I'll let Paul introduce himself now. Thanks, Miles. Um, so similar to Miles. We've known each other through working together on the REC board. I'm now into my 21st year in the recruitment industry. I had a blend of working in-house and uh, for recruitment companies with a particular passion around, which is obviously the subject for this session around RPO and outsourcing services. And as Mal said, just you know, feel passionate about helping 
recruitment owners trying to be the best possible version of themselves and trying to use the experience that I have, which up until fairly recently was at the coalface of recruitment, but also to really share all the mistakes and horrible things that I did wrong. I think I've probably got more wrong than right over the past 21 years. Well, I mean, I think there's something there, Paul, isn't there, which is, you know, our attitude to the past is it's always good to have some scars and to remember why you got them and what you learned. And I think that's really important in terms of building the kind of expertise that we have as an industry, putting our our experience to work. So I'm really interested to to dig into this. Let's start with the basics. You know, my old study started in recruitment in 98. I started in 99. We love a bit. We love a TLA. We love a three-letter acronym. When we talk about things like RPO, MSP, the lingo, many listeners will be familiar with it. But let's just let, let let's just build some foundations for our chat. What do we mean, really? Great question. And this is typically where Miles and I normally start. So I'm going to refer back to the uh, staffing industry analyst definition because that was the what I was brought up on. To be honest with you, so I'm I'm, I'm a stickler for for following that. So RPO for me is recruitment process outsourcing, so that's your perm piece where an organisation may, may outsource. Your MSP tends to be uh, contingent labour, from my experience. And then in between that, you've got an all myriad of acronyms around statement works, embedded talent, you know, partial RPO, project RPO. But they're the main ones for me, Neil. It's, it's the RPO piece which is perm and your msp which is contingent labor of which could be perm or contractors by the way i mean that's really clear it's good kind of good way the way we were taught to to answer our our questions when we were kids at school which is a nice clear definition to start with right let's dig into it we are talking a lot about consultative solutions yeah um we're talking a lot about deep client relationships i mean i'm we're recording this shortly after rec live this year and you know the whole day was shot through with that sense of how do you position yourself with your clients to have that deeper relationship that consultative professional services sale that enables you as a recruitment business to get to recurring revenues let's start with what's the driver for that Where's the driver for that coming from by comparison to source the order, fulfill the order and and keep the focus on the treadmill running quickly? It's an interesting thing you say there because the C word in recruitment is, is, is so overused inappropriately. People all talk about being a recruitment consultant. Um, and in my humble experience, um, sadly, a lot of those people trained to be consultative. Um, they're not allowed to be consultative in their role because there's a lot of short-termism. It's get the jobs on, get the jobs filled, move on. You know, that that relentless sort of hamster wheel of, of you know, contingent, no win, no fee recruitment. And, you know, the big, the big benefit about recurring revenue and the driver, I think, now more than ever around why organisations are looking at recurring revenues and the importance they play. Um, two main things for me, really. Firstly, it it gives your business real financial resilience, you know, to be able to get away from feast and famine, to be able to have a flatter sort of cash flow in an organisation rather than that sawtooth of, oh, my God, it's that time of the month. Everybody's trying to squeeze deal through, get the numbers right. We then start off back at zero next month or or whatever it is. But to, to be able to sort of positively understand, you know, the impact that that 
recurring revenue has on an organization. It helps you scale. It helps you recruit. It helps you invest time within the organization because you're not being reactive in the way that you are in a business that doesn't have recurring revenues. And I think the second thing, and for me, the most critical thing is it's all about enterprise value. Achieving a trade sale exit is really hard for, for recruiters. Achieving MBO is probably a little bit easier, you know, and there's other, other models as well. But the important thing about recurring revenues is it gives your business not just resilience, but that in, it, in itself actually then gives your biz, business real value. It makes your organization very attractive. Um, so having or two or even three streams where there are contracted recurring revenue um, rather than just cross fingers and pray. It's a huge benefit. It really is. There's something there, uh, I think, as well, that links to, we had Andy Grobler, the BNP Paribas in the analyst of the staffing sector for the listed firms speaking at REC Live recently. And his point was, there is so much change in the labour market. There are so many challenges. The question they have looking at staffing firms broadly in the temps contingent space is, which one of these firms has cracked being able to deliver in this new world, which probably has a a heavier focus on things like talent solutions, has a heavier focus on entry level and pathways and and that kind of genuine consultancy behavior. And And that's where the premium is from the city looking at the biggest firms. And and I think that kind of then flows right the way down the size ladder to your smaller firm looking at an exit, which is, you know, what have you got to put on the table that isn't just the principal, you know, the 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 owner manager being really good at being the owner manager of this business and wanting to sell it, but potential purchasers look at looking at uh, most of the IP of the business walking out the door when when it's sold. So there's a bit of um there's a real kind of sense that this residual revenue point is really about residual and structured client relationships. Is that fair, Paul? I think it is. I think the you, you've raised a couple of really interesting points there. We just want to expand on just for a second. I think the key here is the opportunity and then the conversion bit. And We've started to track this now under the uh, the North Star banner. So we, we know that as of today, 78% of owners are thinking of building RPO slash MSP slash recurring revenue type services. So 78% of business owners are thinking about it. We, we're going to be really interested to run this survey again next year to see if it's still 78% or whether that number's dropped because a, a percentage of that 78% have actually started to crack on and deploy it. So, you know, we've been talking about consultative selling for a long, 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 long time and stickier and deeper relationships with customers. But, you know, the thought that goes through in my, my head is that have we actually managed to crack that and get on and do it? The second interesting point you're talking about customer relationships neil is you know 28 percent of recruitment owners have got a clear plan on how to build and maintain and develop the customer relationships which means that 72 percent haven't so we all know the importance of consultative selling we all see the benefits we all think that's the north star that we want to aim for but we're still talking about it and i just wonder if the recruitment industry has moved as you know far forward as it could have done in this particular area and i 
think the last point uh, about the resilience bit is, you know, in the last probably four months, we've had a, a, a significant number of inquiries come through from people wanting to, you know, start this process of building and selling RPO solutions. But it's just a real shame they weren't looking at it last year. And I get why, because last year was very busy and everybody was focusing on the placements and, you know, making hay whilst the sunshine and everything else. But there's just a bit of a period now, uh, as you said, you know, Perm has slowed and is continuing to slow. And that is affecting some businesses, uh, as we've seen out there. So, you know, there are some organisations making head cuts, headcount cuts, particularly because they've struggled on the Perm side. I think that absolutely aligns to what I'm seeing. And one of the challenges there is, I mean, you talk about the number of businesses who have clear plans on this and therefore the number number who don't. I think the discussion about RPO MSP has been quite dominated by the idea of, you know, of big outsourcing. You know, Mm -hmm. it's it's something for the big players. Um, And, you know, one of the reasons why at the REC we kind of didn't set up a, a separate strand for dealing with the outsources. Actually, there's only room for one. Ultimately, it's talent acquisition and talent acquisition consultancy, and we're better all in the same room. But that room increasingly needs not just to be the big players, because I think what I'm taking from what you're saying is we're at a point now where these solutions that have traditionally been the kinds of things big companies do with big agencies, that's percolating into the small and medium now. And that's a good thing. Is that fair? Yeah, I, I, absolutely. I'd say, I, again, if you just think about the need for a second, you, you know, 61% of organisations outsource part of their business, not whole. And, you know, some of the bigger players in the market will want that whole piece, not necessarily just part of an organisation. I'm not saying they may not use it as a means to get the whole organisation, but it may not necessarily be their ultimate endpoint. So I have a favourite saying in this particular area, you you do not have to be Goliath, but you do have to be David. And, you know, Miles and I, we work with agencies with less than 10 heads. And at the moment, our biggest client is is 130 heads. So that's a huge area in that SME space between, you know, a small agency and and a medium-sized agency. What I would add is that what typically happens is the smaller agency doesn't have the knowledge or the skill or the people, but what they have is the ability to be incredibly agile and be able to pivot and change direction really quickly. So they can typically deploy these solutions fairly fast. Once you start getting up to the sort of 100 headcount space, it's not that they can't deploy it fast, but there's more things to take into consideration. The impacts into you know marketing or HR, people, reward, tech, billing, it tends to be a little bit more complex and harder to unpick and build a plan around. But, you know, there's no reason why anybody, whatever size of your recruitment business, can't deploy and sell RPO solutions. For me, it comes back to a mindset thing, Neil. And this tends to be the biggest the biggest challenge for owners. It's shifting from being a recruiter, as we've just mentioned a short while ago, to actually being somebody who can sell those consultative services. And, and that mindset shift shouldn't be underestimated because thinking about what it's like to be actually in-house versus on the outside selling into an organisation, it's a completely different game. That's fascinating. I love that kind of you don't need to be Goliath, but you need to be David thing. 
because it is about taking calculated risk. It is about engaging in leadership with clients, not followership. And that can feel really scary if you are, you know, running a small business with kind of thin margins, potentially constantly watching the cash flow. But it is where there is some growth. And what's interesting is when we talk to the client side, most obviously the client panel at our conference, but number of other occasions what we get back a lot from genuinely strategic people is you know if my job descriptions are rubbish tell me if you think i need to do something on edi tell me and that's the sort of beginnings of the hand coming out from the client to say i need a slightly different relationship here and i do think partially driven by the scarcity of candidates over the last couple of years and you know i'm very clear that while candidate supply is increasing now with the kind of cyclical softening of the economy over the long term if you look across the cycle britain has a tighter, tighter labor market now than it's had for 30 years and that will stay for the next decade so those pressures on clients to think a bit more strategically about people aren't going to go away soon so those sort of questions will start to happen your point about being david is about having the capacity to grasp that tentative hand that comes out from some clients and it will be some clients not others Uh, fundamentally there might be choices to make about doing the top line numbers that fall effectively to your bottom line and not the top line numbers that get eaten up in the in the cost of uh, cost of delivery and that is one of the the big values of having that deeper more residual relationship i can hear in my head loads of REC members saying, yeah, that's great, Neil. That's great. But where do I start? How do I start to think about this? So what would be your 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 kind of uh, starting point, Miles and Paul, in terms of if you're beginning to put one foot after the other, thinking about, I need this different type of relationship with clients? In terms of a starting point, I suppose there's two or three chunks around this. So, so let me take them piece by piece. Um, it's very important that when you want to do something differently, we have to ask ourselves a question and be reflective about saying, well, what is it What is it that we actually think we want, not just as an end result, as in recurring revenue, but what, what should that, what does the product offering, what's the value proposition for our talent solution need to be? You know, that, that's a really important first step. And then leading on from that, something we, we we work with clients and really make sure they do this because this is a critical step beyond that it's not just what we think is right we need to we need to test that we need to sanity check that with our audience um, we need to take our virtual concept of a minimal viable product and say look we're thinking of doing this you know mr and mrs warm friendly client and other people bring into that conversation and and, and let's just make sure that that is actually something that is going to resonate that is going to maybe have some traction and some interest. That first step's really important because I think we've all been in situations in our lives, and Paul talked earlier about making mistakes, and I've I've probably made equally as many as Paul and anybody else in life. You know, sometimes you can kid yourself that you think you've got something that everybody's going to want, you know, and you set your market stall up in the middle of the market square, and you stand there for eight hours, and at the end of the day, lots of people walk past and look, but nobody's bought, and then you're scratching your head and wondering, what have we done wrong? And invariably, it's because we didn't actually ask the market audience what they really wanted first. So that that's critical for me. You know, make sure you do that piece of work 
and understand what it is, what value you're going to add, what the impact you're going to make, what problems are you going to solve? I think the other thing as well in terms of where to start, you know, we talk about David and Goliath and I think, you know, it's about picking your, picking your fights, isn't it? The ones that you can win. So not necessarily going toe to toe immediately with one of those big RPO providers isn't a bad thing to do. Paul talked earlier about project RPO, partial RPO. You know, you're not going to you're not going to go from being a bloody good contingent supplier of, of, of talent into organisations to doing a full end to end RPO overnight. So grow into it, build your confidence, build your product. It's critical. And, and going into the lowest hanging fruits as well, a big piece of work Paul and I do with organisations as, as part of taking them on this journey is let's look at who our existing customers are of those who, who are likely to be receptive to this sort of offering and why. Um, let's identify the characteristics of those organisations, you know, um, you know, and, 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 and take take a solution to the ones that are going to be most receptive and are going to actually want to partner with us as well because you can use you can use an RPO MSP or a hybrid solution for two different methods really one protect those customers from attack from our, from our competition but i think as, as as agencies we've all got as recruiters we've all got organizations we'd love to work with but our competitors have them really close and protected and what i love about developing like an rpo msp solution is actually that's the thing that can maybe unsettle current that current relationship and the close relationship so yeah it can be used in one of two ways but for me i think starting with understanding what you want it to be testing that sanity checking that going with the lowest hanging fruit first building from maybe projects rpo to partial rpo then you've got your case study, then you've got your testimonial, you know, you've made your mistakes earlier on where you can afford to make the mistakes with people who might be forgiving of some of those errors. But I think getting the right people to show you the way, and this isn't a pitch for North Star, but, you know, having people there that have been there, seen it, done it, have got the battle scars, have had the collateral damage and, and can help help you navigate those pitfalls. I think that's 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 a really good thing to take out of today as well. That thing about having the confidence to pick the clients that you want to chase after on this is really powerful. And just put me in mind of something my ACAS council colleague Jane Haynes said at an REC event years ago. And Jane's HRD of FTSE 100 company. She said, the people I'll talk to are the people who ring me up and say something interesting about a problem I already know I have. And that requires a level of client knowledge to be able to to do that and then if they are telling me something about that now they might well have a solution down the track but it is that piece about i know this is a problem it's already on my mind and therefore you can sail with the wind in terms of the discussion you're having about you know is it msp is it rpo is it other some other form of for a, a deeper relationship so the, the there's a kind of overlap here between what is really good genuine traditional consultancy and then delivery and what is something more structured and uh, developmental we talk about going from project rpo to to partial rpo that feels to me like one of the messages here is you know take the key clients you think you can carry with with you on on a journey and in terms of that i suppose one of the things that 
lots of recruitment businesses looking at this might be thinking is, you know, what's the tech stack that I need here? Because the recruitment tech stack is, shall we say, eclectic in all sorts of ways. And we know we're heading for a a much more digital by default way of servicing both. Well, I'd say, I was going to say servicing both clients and candidates, but actually we're, we're, we're heading for digital by default to service candidates first. What is the kind of the tech ask for firms who want to start out on this and you know is it a big commitment and then linked to that are there any other obstacles that maybe recruitment business owners ought to be aware of when thinking about this i'll take those in in the order that you've just uh, asked them neil so thinking about the tech stack um first and foremost it depends upon the customer needs if if i'm being brutally honest with you so so there's no Mm. right and wrong answer and i think that's really important because i think being tech agnostic you know it's part of the consultative cell rather than going in there with a piece of tech and saying you know this will work so i think it'd be incredibly arrogant to go in there and say you've got a piece of tech ready to go so that's first and foremost however what i would always suggest is you you know it's about trying to keep it simple it's about trying to use their existing an agency's existing tech where they can and plugging in where they need to substitute but this can be i mentioned about mindset at the start this can be one of the areas where recruitment owners struggle a little bit because once you start talking about building a database which sits outside of an existing crm and the customer has visibility and and to some degree ownership in in some cases of that CRM, then it starts to make them feel uncomfortable and they then start to struggle to understand how candidates would get in there and how it would work and how ultimately you'd make placements and and you know manage the paying bill. So it, it can be complex, but it, you've got to put yourself, particularly in the RPO side, you've got to put yourself in the customer's shoes and think about your you're really sat alongside the HR team, you know, delivering activities and tasks that they would do if they were working for themselves direct. And and that that's a bit of a mindset shift. And that's one area and one obstacle that we see with recruitment owners. It's just that shift in understanding and seeing it from a different perspective, which you have to, particularly on the perm side, slightly less so on the contingent side. The other two really big obstacles and these are by far the biggest obstacles and these are big boulders type obstacles the first one is time and the second one is boredom so the time bits when miles and i talk to organizations we're really transparent from the onset you know the biggest cost in transitioning away from contingent recruitment services into uh, talent based solutions is time and it's the time that the owner slash senior leadership team or people in the organization will need to spend designing, building and deploying these types of solutions. So it's not the time that we spend working with people, which is over a nine month period, by the way, it's the time impact on that organization. And recruiters tend to be time short. My sort of guess is this mirrors to why People have been talking about it for a long time, but struggling to actually get on and do it because, you know, the perm placement on Monday or the the contract is out a week on Friday. You know, they're they're really short term things that impact the business. And I think sometimes as leaders, we can focus too much on the short term and not enough on the long term. So having one eye on where a recruiter is going and where they're taking that business, I think for me is really key. But time is definitely one of the biggest barriers. The second one I mentioned about boredom levels. 
I think recruiters can sometimes, recruitment owners can sometimes gravitate uh, like magpies to shiny new toys. And, um, you know, two, three months down the line, when they haven't got an instant return, they then can start to get bored with it and then put it down. And then it's been a complete waste of time and investment. You know, some of these solutions can deliver returns fairly quickly if you've got an immediate opportunity, but sometimes they can take, you know, six, nine, 12, 18 months as well. So it's just making sure that people understand what they're getting into and setting their own expectations about when this might yield uh, some results and ultimately increase that profitability that you mentioned earlier. So I think what we've come around here is to a view that the opportunity is definitely there, probably in this market more than before, that it's both an opportunity and essential in terms of where technology is taking us. In the last episode of the podcast, we had a chat with Greg Savage about how the march of technology is bringing us back round to the kind of genuine consultancy skills that should be at the heart of the industry and in many ways are, but have maybe been downplayed a little next to things like uh, things like um, uh, fulfillment and and the demand patterns of quite a a loose supply market in the UK for the last 20 years. Um, I think that is starting to change. So there's something here about understanding the market we're playing in and business leaders giving themselves space and time to stay strict to think strategically and then to stick with a strategy with some resilience, your boredom point, Paul, which seems to me to be absolutely vital in terms of thinking about the investments you make and get and driving it, uh, driving a return on them. But what what's clear from the whole discussion is that there's a massive opportunity here. Gents, thank you for joining us on the podcast today. That's been a fantastic discussion. If people want to find out a bit more about North Star and what you're doing, where would they look? So North Star People is the website domain name. And on there is all the details regarding the uh, the RPO program and some of the additional services that we provide to agency owners as well. Super. Thank you very much for that. And as you probably guessed, friends, this is something that is on the REC's agenda as well, because I think it's critical to the the professional development of the sector over the next few years. Part of that is, I mentioned Greg Savage earlier, if you're interested in thinking about what that true consultant behaviour feels like, the skill sets we need for the future, then we're bringing Recruit the Savage way around the country in September. Timber and you can check Greg out on the last episode of the podcast, episode 13, talking about what we're doing there. It's going to be a fantastic opportunity to, to get your consultants thinking in the right sort of way for this, for this market. But I think um, it stands alongside the kind of work that we're doing at the REC around technology change in the industry as well. So do check that new report out and definitely a sense that the, the themes that stand behind our industry going into 2024 are about professional services and are about efficient techno- uh, technology for delivery. Those things, I think, come out of everything that we're seeing. And there's certainly some of the foundations for the discussion we've had with Miles and Paul today. Thank you both very much, Miles and Paul. Real pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you, Neil. It's been a pleasure as well. 
and a pleasure to hear from you and a pleasure to be joined by all of our REC members on this episode of the podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, do dig into that episode with Greg, as I say, episode 13. Or if you want something a little bit more policy flavoured, we had a fantastic discussion in episode 12 with Hannah Slaughter of the Resolution Foundation about labour market enforcement, something which I think is likely to be more of a of a focus after the next general election with uh, some of the ways that the political parties have been talking about it in the last few months. Thank you all again for joining us and I do look forward to talking to you again on another episode of Talking Recruitment, the REC podcast. Thank you for listening today. I hope you took away some valuable thoughts from this discussion. If you'd like to hear more, head to rec.uk.com forward slash talking recruitment or follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify. Simply search Talking Recruitment to find us.